Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Arif Dean here of Mile High Sports. Of course, presented by Superbook Sports, our sponsor for the show this season. And I'm here to talk about the Avalanche's 7-4 victory over the Philadelphia Flyers, as well as the road trip as a whole, and then some whopper news that broke, not related to the Avalanche, but the New York Islanders, just as that Avalanche game ended. But let's start with the victory today. Uh, and forgive me from now if I say tonight a few times. We love matinee games. We love them when they're at home at Ball Arena. They're even funkier, and I love them more when they're on the East Coast and the Avalanche playing end up playing at 11 a.m. Mountain Time local here in Denver, which was just absolutely great to see. So the game starts, the Avalanche are getting completely outplayed. They had, I believe it was 84 shot attempts against the most they've had this whole season. Uh, and, and you know, ultimately, the kind of the theme of the road trip has been outside of the Montreal game, which coincidentally they lost. The theme of the road trip has been starting slow. And it happened again. The only difference is this time, Colorado escaped the first period with a 2 to nothing lead. And I thought it was really fascinating because they had one power play opportunity and zero shots on it. And obviously, I'm talking about power play opportunities strictly, specifically in that first period. Uh, Alexander Georgiev faced 12 shots, stopped them all. Colorado had just five on goalie Carter Hart. And score twice. So it was a very fortunate period for them, you know, kind of a similar theme to the rest of the road trip for the most part, but different in the terms that Colorado was the one that took a multi-goal lead into the intermission. And then they come out of the break, Manson and Wood with the assist, Nathan McKinnon with the goal 43 seconds in to make it three to nothing. Obviously, Philly answered back pretty quickly, but it was kind of a back and forth game. Uh, three to one, four to one, four to two, five to two, and then there was a little bit of a scare there where Forster and Atkinson scored just under three minutes apart before a late penalty from Scott Lawton, which he was livid about going into the box. And John Tortorella, after the game in his post gamer, did say that he didn't think it was a penalty. I thought, you know, I, I hate commenting on refs; they're inconsistent. Um. It was, you know, it's a standard of the game. Sometimes that one was called a penalty. Sometimes it's not. It just so happened to be called a penalty today, that hooking call on Lawton. So it's hard to argue there. Granted, I could see the case that both Lawton and Tortorella had. Well, the Avalanche get that power play and 49 seconds into it. Miko Rantanen from Kale McCarr and Jonathan Drouin makes it 6-4, to four, setting up for everybody's favorite empty net goal, Nathan McKinnon. Comes in on a 2-on-0 breakaway with Logan O'Connor trailing behind him. McKinnon gets into the zone, onside, settles the puck down, passes up his own hat trick because he had two goals to give it to Logan O'Connor to allow the Avalanche's hard-working third-line bottom six forward to record his first career hat trick. And just a classy, classy move from McKinnon. When he was speaking on Altitude TV to Katie Goss after the game, he did mention that, you know, the common theme when you're on one of those 2 on 0 breakaways and it's an empty netter and you're the puck holder is you pass it up. And, and you know, we see it all the time in the NHL. This is not strictly a McKinnon thing or a Colorado Avalanche thing. But it just so happened to be that the guy trailing behind him was the other guy with two goals in O'Connor. So it just made for a great story there. Logan O'Connor... And, you know, kind of shifting toward wanting to speak about that. 
Logan O'Connor playing with Ross Colton and Miles Wood, who's been back for three games. And by the way, Miles Wood has five points in those three games. That line has kind of, you know, they played a lot together this season, but recently they have really been going. It took a little bit of time for them to truly get that chemistry the way they have had it the last two, three games. But there is no arguing that line right now. There is no arguing what those three are doing together. And and it really raises a question that I've had all season. And it goes back to the offseason, back to when JJ and I were doing this podcast together and the Avalanche signed the many, many guys they signed and acquired on or before July 1st. And we kept talking about how they were one forward away. Obviously, you know, this is when we thought Ryan Johansson would work as a second line center and, and things like that. We kept talking about how they were one forward away because you got Wood and Colton on the second line, but you want to keep, you know, like I was saying in the summer, you want to keep O'Connor on the fourth line with Cogliano and Ben Myers or Olison or whoever ends up being the guy at center to replace Darren Helm. And they went out and signed Tomas Tatar in September and October, November, December, three months later, less than 100 days later, Tatar was shipped off to Seattle for a fifth round draft pick. And you end up in a scenario where now you're probably going to need another depth forward to replace Tatar, you know, whether or not Logan O'Connor is going to play on the third line. You ultimately want another option because injuries happen, especially in the playoffs. So they trade Tatar, and now we're back to this question again. Arturi Lekkinen's expected back next week. Bowen Byram's also expected back next week. We'll get to him later, one of the defensemen. Arturi Lekkinen is expected back. My assumption is, based off what Jared Bednar told us before this road trip about how he wants Lekkinen playing with Ryan Johansson, and at the time he said Val Nichushkin as well, but obviously we know Nichushkin's going to be out for a little bit. He's on his personal leave with the, uh, and he's in the NHLPA uh, player assistance program. So when Lekkinen comes back, my assumption is. We're going to see Lekkinen play with Ryan Johansson and probably Andrew Cogliano, maybe Logan O'Connor, not Logan O'Connor, sorry, uh, Yoel Kiviranta, something like that, to keep Wood, Colton, and O'Connor together. But when Valeria Nichushkin returns and your second line becomes Lekkinen, Johansson, and Val Nichushkin, and whether Johansson remains or not, I still think he will get traded is beyond the point. The point is you're going to have a second-line center playing with Lekkinen and Nichushkin and then Druin and Rantanen with Nathan McKinnon. There's your top six. The question that I have is when you're targeting a depth forward, does it have to be somebody who pushes O'Connor back down to the fourth line, similar to the Tomas Tatar signing, or have we seen enough from O'Connor to say, you're a top-nine guy, Let's just bring in another depth option, similar to Kiviranta or whatever it may be, just to have more bodies and more options available. And I keep going back and forth on this because in the beginning of the season, I said having Logan O'Connor on the fourth line is a must. Now it's kind of like having Logan O'Connor on the fourth line is a luxury. And whether it's a luxury this team can afford or not is hard to answer right now. Because we know right now the two things the Avalanche need most are, in no particular order, number one, goaltending help. And they don't necessarily need a starter. I know that Georgiev's stats are struggling, and the Avs are letting in a lot of three-goal games lately. But it's either 
it's either that is your top option uh, in terms of needs, your your biggest priority, or it's the second line center position where the assumption is any trade involving a second line center is going to involve Ryan Johansson going back to the other way, even if it means you have to pay more for the other team to take on Johansson and his contract, given he has one more year at $4 million. So my question is, where does the luxury of Logan O'Connor <clears throat> being on the fourth line now now rank in your priority and in your list of priorities um because the way that i see it do you have enough assets to trade to bring in another goalie to also replace ryan johansson and get rid of his contract and on top of that do you need help at d do you want to get another guy in at d what if you end up trading one of your d for center help would that be a bigger priority than the luxury of having Logan O'Connor on the fourth line? Because those are all the questions that Chris McFarland has to answer. You know, we saw last year, or not last year, sorry, two years ago when the Avalanche made some moves. They they made us a, a string of moves. They brought in a lot of a lot of forward help in terms of Lekkinen, Cagliano, and Nico Sturm. And they sh- shifted Tyson Jost out of the lineup in the trades. And then they brought in Josh Manson and all the other assets that were moved from the lineup were draft picks and, and prospects that are not on the current lineup at the time so it was just tyson jost funny thing is by the way i think nico sturm should be one of the guys he has uh target granted two million dollars is a lot for a fourth line center but if you can get san jose to eat a little bit of it that would be a lot of fun um maybe that's the move that gets johansson out of here you know um but anyway i'm starting to think the avalanche don't necessarily need to replace what tatar gave them on the third line I'm starting to think, yes, sure, they do need forward help. You know, maybe they bring in a guy of the caliber of someone like what they did last year with Matt Nieto. And that way you have, in a healthy lineup, again, Drew and McKinnon, Rantanen, Lekkinen and Nichushkin playing with whoever the 2C is. Let's assume Johansson's off the team. Would Colton and O'Connor on the third line. And then your fourth line is Cogliano. Uh, Olafson and let's say Kiviranta and you know maybe you brought in somebody like Nieto or you know maybe Ben Myers and not specifically Nieto I'm saying like a Nieto caliber player similar to that acquisition last year someone who you know is going to play behind O'Connor um, and give O'Connor the opportunity to remain on that third line so just you know something just a little food for thought here as it's january 20 and the trade deadline is march 8th what is that 11 plus 8 19 add the 29 days in the middle we're looking at 47 days till the trade deadline not a lot you know we're just over six weeks away from the trade deadline we're just under seven weeks away i should say from the trade deadline so these are just some questions that chris mcfarland joe sakic and the abs are going to have to answer between now and then I do want to shift from there to the defense, uh, but before doing so, I want to tell you guys about the sponsor here, Superbook Sports. We are changing the game, win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, that's two words, MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Winner or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy 
of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Moving on to the defense, Bowen Byram is expected back during this break. And by break, I mean the Avalanche are off Sunday. They're going to practice Monday. They're going to practice Tuesday. They have a home game Wednesday, practice Thursday, home game Friday. And then they're off from January 26th until, I believe, February 5th when they start another road trip in uh, New York against the Rangers and then the Devils in a back-to-back. Bo Byram's coming back next week, basically, in the next four days. With Byram back... And with Gerard, with Manson, with Taves McCarr, there's your top five. The question is for me, does Jack Johnson stay in the lineup? I think he does. Or do the Avalanche keep Sam Malinsky up? Malinsky has been playing some really good hockey. And to be quite honest with you, there's another conversation that I'll probably get into to be had about being able to unload one of your... Byram or Gerard contracts to help that second line center position probably because of how good Sam Malinsky has been and because I think you can trust him as a number four or five guy in the NHL. Malinsky's got 10 points in 21 games this season. So he's pitching in offensively, giving you that, you know, roughly 35 to 40 point pace. He's a plus five. In his last three games, he has a goal and three assists. He has a point in every single game. He played 13 minutes against Philly, 13.44 against Boston, 17 minutes against Ottawa. And he's seeing a lot more ice time than he did early in the season when he was playing a lot of 10 and 12 minute games in his first run uh, in uh, early December to mid-December. So it really does raise the question of does he come out of the lineup Does he deserve to come out of the lineup, I should say? Because I think he does come out of the lineup for the sole purpose that if you keep Malinsky in and you make Jack Johnson your number seven, you're going to send Caleb Jones down. And Caleb Jones going down means Caleb Jones has to clear waivers. And I don't think Caleb Jones will clear waivers. And then what happens is you've lost an asset, you've lost a body, and now you're setting yourself up for when you are two injuries deep, which the Avalanche have been, Just recently, Manson and Byron were out. Both Caleb and Malinsky were in the lineup with Jack Johnson. You are setting yourself up for Jack Johnson being your number seven and then needing to dig into the AHL for someone like Brad Hunt, who hasn't played NHL minutes this year, to be your number eight defenseman. And you just can't afford to do that. So does Sam Malinsky deserve to get sent down? Probably not. But because of his rookie status and his ability to get sent down and not clear waivers... It probably will likely end up, assuming no injuries between now and Wednesday and Bowen Byram is back on Wednesday, it'll likely end up with Malinsky getting sent down, Jack Johnson remaining in the lineup, and Caleb Jones continuing to do what Jared Bednar has said about him all along is a player that knows his role, that can be called upon when needed, but knows that he is the number seven defenseman likely to be a healthy scratch on most nights. So it is just proper asset management to send Malinsky down, even though he is your probably your one of your top six best defensemen on this team right now. Uh, I have no big issues with the way Jack Johnson has played this year. I'm not saying he's a perfect player. I'm not saying he's helping you in every possible way. But I don't think that he's been any kind of a scapegoat in my eyes. But at the same time, you know, 
I still think the way Malinsky has been playing and the way he's pitched in and the offensive flashes he's shown, the ability to score on the power play and pitching on the power play and, and just his brilliance in general, you're starting to see a guy who should be a top six defenseman on this team. But again, given the numbers game, I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, what that does do is it raises a bigger question because one of the questions or one of the theories that I have, and I need to make this clear. Uh, first of all, what I share right now, whatever your thoughts are about it, please do link this part of the podcast or put a bookmark in this part of the podcast and tweet at me and let me know what you think as soon as you hear this. No sources behind this. I have not spoken to anybody. I'm not breaking any type of insider news, but I have a theory that Bowen Byram is not going to be a Colorado Avalanche for long. And it's simply because Byram strikes me as a guy that knows Makar and Taves are here for the long run and he can't play behind those guys forever. He deserves and should have an opportunity to be a number one or at least a top line guy on another team elsewhere. So the other theory that I have about Byram, you know, he's locked up for this year and next year, and then he's an RFA. So the Avalanche control his rights. What this means is the Avalanche have set themselves up to have an opportunity to use a wealth of defensive assets to acquire what they need at forwards, you know, similar to what they did Tyson Berry for Nazem Kadri a couple years ago. Granted, that trade looked one-sided when it happened. It ended up one-sided at the end. Nazem Kadri won a cup. Barry was not long for Toronto. So I'm not saying they're going to come away with another steal of a trade like that. But Bowen Byram is better than Tyson Berry. So, well, at least looks to have a brighter future, I should say, in the moment. So what I basically think about Bo is... Not only do I think the Avalanche eventually need to trade him before he's up for another contract and before he's up for an opportunity to, you know, want to cash in and be a number one defenseman somewhere, kind of spread his wings and fly, which he deserves to do. He is a top defenseman. Um, what I have a theory about for him is that I think it's going to happen sooner than we think in the terms that it'll happen this offseason. And the reason why I predict that is because I think... Byram's agents, well, first of all, the Avalanche need forward help in terms of a second-line center. But I think Byram's agents and Bo Byram himself, if you gave him truth serum, would prefer that the second year of his bridge contract, making just over $3.8 million, he would prefer to play that on a team where he is able to play 21, 22, 23-plus minutes a night and really cash in in the summer of 2025 rather than get traded as an RFA in the summer of 2025 to a team who wants to pay him based off of what they project he can be on the top line. He wants the ability to prove it. In my opinion, that's the way it's going to shake out. So whether it's Bo Byram or whether it's Sam Gerrard, Sam Malinsky and the way he's playing makes it a little bit easier to stomach to trade one of these guys. Because right now the Avalanche have four left-handed defensemen. You know, they've been shifting one of them to the right here and there. But they got Devon Taves, Bo Byram, Sam Gerrard, and Jack Johnson. On the right side from their top six, it's Kale McCarr and Josh Manson. But if you shift Malinsky into the lineup, you have a clear right-handed shot defenseman side of McCarr, Manskin, Man McCarr, Manson, Malinsky, all the M's. And on the left, you have Taves. 
let's say, Gerard and then Jack Johnson for this season, you're obviously going to want to bring in some help because the same thing I was saying about their depth forwards and needing help there, I'm assuming you're going to need the same thing on defense. But what if you use, because of Malinsky, you don't wait till the offseason, what if you use Bowen Byram or maybe Sam Gerard, but I think Bowen Byram makes more sense because of the cost certainty of Gerard's contract. What if you use someone like Bo to bring in a second line center? And one of the ideas that comes to mind, again, zero insider information, is a trade centered around Bowen Byram and Joel Erickson Eck in Minnesota. Because in Minnesota, their captain Jared Spurgeon's about to have two surgeries and he's out for the season. And in Minnesota, they have a lot of young offensive forwards in terms of Marco Rossi, Matthew Boldy. They still have Kaprizov under contract. Obviously, Joel Eriksson Ek, who's only 26, will be 27 in a week. They have a lot of forwards. Defense, their future is not as bright. They have a killer rookie in Brock Faber, who just so happens to be a right shot defenseman. What if Minnesota was to sacrifice one of their top centers, well, arguably their top center, Joel Eriksson Ek, 26-year-old, almost 27-year-old Swedish forward centerman with 18 goals and 15 assists, 33 points in 45 games, coming off of a season where he had 61 in 78, and the season before that when the Avs won the Cup where he had 49 in 77. What if the Minnesota Wild sacrificed that player who, by the way, also plays big shorthanded minutes. He's already got three shorthanded goals and five shorthanded points. They sacrifice that player, knowing they have Marco Rossi in the wings, to stack up on defense with a Byram-Faber duo for the future. And I know what y'all are thinking. It sounds icky to put Bowen Byram in a Minnesota Wild jersey. But that's just an example of the type of move and again there would be other pieces surrounding it you know maybe the avalanche can do like one of my favorite things about the deadline last year for some of the top teams in the nhl is how they always added a secondary piece to the trade toronto went out and got ryan o'reilly they also got noel achari boston went out and got dimitri orlov they also got garnett hathaway the new york rangers went out and got vladimir tarasenko they also plugged a hole with nico mikola on defense so what if the Avalanche makes some kind of trade centered around Byram for Eriksson Ek, which by the way, I think right now Eriksson Ek probably has the better value and is the better player. So the Avalanche would be the one adding a little bit. But what if they also in that same deal brought in Marc-Andre Fleury, maybe shifted out a, a, a draft pick, maybe shifted out Pavel Francouz's contract, who's going to be on LTIR for the rest of the year, maybe found a way to make the, make the salary cap work. You know, Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts mentioned the other day that Marc-Andre Fleury uh, and Colorado would be a good match. And that would be the type of team that he might, you know, be willing to, to waive his no trade for. So what if there is a trade to be had there and then you end up with a second line center and then you have what I said. Obviously, this would mean Jack Johnson's in your top six. You've taken away from your D, but you've also upgraded your goaltending help. And you've added a second line center who I think we need to start looking at what forwards mean to a team defense as well. Because the Avalanche aren't playing great team defense, but it's not because of the defensemen they have. It just seems like they haven't been a fully cohesive unit at times. A lot of new players coming in and kind of trying to catch on to that team chemistry and everything. But 
I genuinely think someone like Joel Eriksson Ek, who is a strong two-way forward that can give you 55 to 65 points offensively, is the type of player they could use, especially if you were to combine him with a Valeri Nichushkin and Minival Arturi Lekkinen into a hard-working shutdown line that also gives you offense and is in your top six. It also gives you the ability to play Wood, Colton, and O'Connor as the third line, not the current second line, because Nichushkin's out, Lekkinen's hurt, and Ryan Johansson isn't giving you what a second line center should give you. So that's just an idea of a trade, um, and that all stems from kind of the thoughts in my head because of the Sam Malinsky kind of the rise of Malinsky and what he's been able to do has made me feel like, hey, this idea that I've had of Bo Byram probably not being long for the avalanche in his future, um, again, not because of any animosity, but because he deserves to be a number one somewhere and Taves and McCarr both going to be here long term. Because of that, you know, I still always feel Bo Byram will be the next one traded, but maybe because of the rise of Malinsky, you can do that this year. Is it risky? Yes, but it would give you a top four of Taves and McCarr and Gerard and Manson, who have been playing together lately, and Manson looks pretty good. You know, we're not talking about how he's on pace for 30 plus points and playing good two-way hockey. And then your third pair is Malinsky and Jack Johnson, maybe Caleb Jones. Maybe you bring in another depth guy for a second or third rounder. And you still bring Jack Johnson down to number seven and Malinsky's playing with some other veteran. So there are options there to make it all work. Um, obviously, the salary cap is fickle and you got to find a way to make that work. You're going to have to probably trade out Ryan Johansson and some other deal if it's not in the Minnesota deal. Um, but just a thought and just an idea of a deal and just a thought and an idea of conversations that I've been having with myself and thoughts that I've been having because of what Malinsky has shown. So... Keep that in your uh, in your brain for a little bit here as we, like I said, are 47 days away from the NHL trade deadline this year. Let me know what you think about potentially doing something like that. Tweet at me, at RunWrightArif, R-U-N-W-R-I-T-E-A-A-R-I-F. Let me know what you think. I'm genuinely curious. You know, I don't want to spend a lot of time breaking down a whole bunch of aspects of the game uh, or a whole bunch of aspects of this team because there are plenty of podcast to be had between now and the deadline but alexander georgiev it is a conversation to have there uh in terms of his workload and you know i just kind of solved it really quickly uh, off the top of my head with potentially bringing in that secondary piece and mark andre Fleury in a deal like that but regardless i think there's something there and i do want to end the show with what i teased in the beginning Whopper news from the New York Islanders just as the Avalanche game ended. Lou Lamorello announced that the team has fired Lane Lambert and replaced him with one Patrick Waugh. Patty Waugh is going to be joining the New York Islanders as their head coach. Following an Islanders loss in overtime to the Chicago Blackhawks on Friday, uh, which was kind of the game that really put an end to the Lane Lambert era. Uh, the Islanders are 32nd in a lot of defensive and offensive metrics. Despite that, they have a 19, 15, and 11 record, 49 points in 45 games, two wins in their last 10. They should be better than that. How much better are they? I don't know. And that's something we're going to figure out. But they should be a hell of a lot better than they have shown. And I am so excited to see what Patrick Waugh brings. 
So the fun part about it is that Lou Lamorello ran the New Jersey Devils in 2001 when Patrick Waugh was the goaltender for the Colorado Avalanche that beat the New Jersey Devils and Marty Brodeur. Just as I say that, which is hilarious, a tweet just came out from Arthur Staple at The Athletic because Patrick Waugh is speaking in a conference call right now. And Patrick Waugh said, quote, the only subject we weren't allowed to talk about was the stand was the Stanley Cup in 2001. That's a little joke. And then Lou said, it's not a joke. So those guys are already taking friendly jabs at each other for that relationship from the Avalanche beating the Devils 23 years ago. But now they are on the same team. Patrick Wall reunited with goalie Semyon Varlamov, who is the New York Islanders' backup goalie, uh, and who is locked up for this year plus three more years. A decade ago, Patrick Wall, Semyon Varlamov, and the Colorado Avalanche uh, nearly won the President's Trophy. They were one of the top teams in the West um, before ultimately falling to the Minnesota Wild in seven games. But... Semyon Varlamov is 6-4-2 with a 9-1-8 save percentage this year. He has just been such a model of consistency since leaving the Avs and joining the Islanders. 9-1-4, Man, the Avalanche would love to have Semyon as their second goalie on this team, but he makes 2.75 and he's locked up for three more years. Lou Lamorello and the Islanders love the 35-year-old Semyon Varlamov. So... I am so excited to see what the Patrick Waugh era brings in his second go-around with the NHL uh, as a head coach, I should say. Third go-around if you include his player uh, career as well, playing career. Uh, I also think it's hilarious that on Sunday, by the time you guys are listening to this, the New York Islanders host Matt Duchesne and the Dallas Stars in Patty's first game as head coach. And I would pay a lot of money to be a reporter covering the morning skate just to ask Matt Duchesne his thoughts on Patrick Waugh coming back to the NHL. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Really great to see Patty back in the NHL. The NHL's better with Waugh back in it. Would I want him coaching the team that I cover? Probably not. But we know that's not the case because Jared Bednar is here to stay and has been, aside from that first year after Patrick Waugh quit on the Avs, a wonderful head coach. So... That's it here for me, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports. You're listening to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. I kind of want to get back in the theme of closing out the show we used to in years past. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you.